You're listening to audio from New Horizon Worship Center, located in Waco, Georgia. If you would like additional resources, please visit us online at www.NewHorizonWorshipCenter.org. Philippians 4, 8 and 9. Okay, so I know you guys are ready to hear the other four C's, but I'm going to give them to you. Today, we're talking about the five C's, and I kind of started it last week with, I've been praying for myself personally that God would fill me with these five C's, these five words that begin with the letter C. And last week, we started on the first one, and that was all we got to was one out of five last week. And so I was saying, maybe it'll be a five-part series or whatever, but last week, we talked about clarity. That's the first one. God, give me clarity, because without clarity, if I can't see clear, then how can I know what you want me to do? And how we talked about that last week. If you didn't hear it, go back and listen to, to the podcast. But it's clarity, compassion, calmness, conviction, and Christ. Those are the five things. that, And I believe that if we're filled with these things, then it'll change the way we look. It'll change the way we act. It'll change the way that we minister to people. Um, and surprise, surprise, I can't just break this up into five weeks. Uh, I'm going to give you the other four today. Don't worry, it's not going to take too long. It's not going to be as long as last week, but we're going to go through all four of the others this week. So last week we talked about clarity. We need to see clearly. Well, how do you see clearly? You open your eyes and focus. You can't run around with your eyes closed. You have to know what's going on. You have to open up your eyes. You have to read his word. You have to... See clearly. Have you ever had a vision, had your vision checked? Got a physical or a checkup or something? You know how they tell you, I had to go get a physical before the fight. And that when they tell you, cover up one eye and read this chart. Okay, no big deal. You cover up one eye, you read the chart. Well, then they say, okay, cover up the other eye. And then when you cover up the other eye, after this one's been covered up for for so long, I don't know about y'all, but I can't see out of it. Oh God, I'm blind in that eye and I never knew it. <laughs> I'm trying to focus and you're trying to see it. You're, you're... Why? Because it's been closed for so long it can't do what it's supposed to do. There's no focus. There's no vision. Everything looks blurry. You have to go. Luckily, I'm good at memorizing stuff. So I just memorized everything with my left eye. And then when I covered up the other eye, I got 20-20. <laughs> in the spirit if we run around with our eyes closed all the time and then when we need it God when I need to see you I need to see your direction for my life now I'm going to pop my eyes open well guess what I can't see too good because my eyes have been closed we had this genius at the affiliates retreat last week uh, as we were all lining up to take a group photo and you know it's always smart to line up facing the sunshine so that you're all squinting with your eyes halfway closed. And we all got lined up. And this guy stands up in front of everybody and says, I used to be a photographer. Now everyone listen to me. Close your eyes. And we're going to count to three. And as soon as we say three, open your eyes. And we'll snap the picture on three. And that's how you do it. I guarantee you that's a horrible looking picture. I know for me, I'm standing there with my eyes closed waiting. And then there's one, two, three. You open your eyes and the sun burns your retinas. And your face looks awful. I don't. My point is, if you want to have clear vision, you need to walk around with your eyes open. 
Don't be in the dark. Look at Philippians 4, 8 and 9. I'm going to read it to you in the King James, and then I'm going to read it to you real quick in the message, how the Message Bible words it. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, and whatsoever things are honest, and whatsoever things are just, and whatsoever things are pure, and whatsoever things are lovely, and whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue, and if there be any praise or thanks, Think on these things. Well, what's he trying to say? Focus on the good. Focus on the good things. Look for the good. Look how the Message Bible words it. Summing it all up, friends, I'd say you'll do best by filling your minds and meditating on things true and noble, reputable, authentic, compelling, gracious, the best, not the worst, the beautiful, not the ugly, things to praise, not things to curse. Put into practice what you learned from me, what you heard and saw and realized. Do that and the God who makes everything work together will work you into his most excellent harmonies. This is how you retrain your brain. If you have to read it every day and remind yourself, think about the good things. King James says the God will give you peace, the God of peace. Or the Message Bible will work you into his most excellent harmonies. So open your eyes, focus on the good, and God will give you peace. He will work you into his harmonies. He'll make you fit in a beautiful way. All right. So that's clarity. Number two, compassion. We hear compassion a lot as Christians. We know that we need compassion. But what is compassion? Look at Psalms 145, 8 and 9. Psalm 145, 8 and 9. Look what David said. The Lord is gracious. And full of compassion. The Lord is. Our God is full of compassion. Is slow to anger. And of great mercy. The Lord is good to all. And His tender mercies are over all His works. So God is full of compassion. Which is really good news for us. I'm glad God's full of compassion. Because I don't deserve His love. I don't deserve a place in His family. I'm glad He looked at me in my death, and my sin, and He has compassion. We all should be. So our God is full of compassion. Well, what's compassion? It's sympathy. You feel bad. You see somebody that's hurting. You see somebody that's hungry. You see a a starving child on a commercial. That's sympathy. But compassion is sympathy plus action. It's feeling bad about something and then doing something about it. It's doing something to help the situation be better. That's, that's compassion. It's sympathy plus action. Jesus had compassion and he healed the sick. Scripture says. Jesus had compassion. We see it over and over in the Gospels that Jesus had compassion and then Jesus did. Jesus looked and saw somebody sick and hurt and he had compassion and then he healed them. Jesus saw the people were hungry. He had compassion and then he fed them. 
Jesus was full of compassion. So if Jesus was full of it, I want to be full of it. You don't beg people with compassion to get involved. They just do. Man, you don't have to beg somebody that's, got, that's full of compassion. You don't have to beg them to help. They just do. When I act out of compassion, I don't ask people for permission. If you see somebody hungry, you don't ask for permission to feed them or help them. You just do it. I see somebody, you know how many times I've felt like I should give somebody some food or something? You know, I don't call Jesse and ask if this is a good financial decision for us as a family. And not that we don't keep anything from each other, but when you're moved by compassion, you don't try to, you just do it. You see somebody hurting and you help them. You see somebody laying in the ditch that needs some help and and you get out and help them. I was in Douglasville at, at Quick Trip a few days ago. I don't remember what day. Thursday, maybe. And all I had was a $20 bill. No more money on the card, and the car was almost out of gas. And I thought, if I put this whole 20 in the car, that may be enough for the next couple of days. We'll probably still have to figure out a little more for the weekend. But that was all the cash I had left. And I was going in, and there was a guy that was asking me for something, and I was like, ah, really have anything to give him i'm gonna have twenty dollars but i need that much gas to get us to do all the running that we need to do and i felt like i need to give him something so i didn't call jesse and ask her or anything she actually is first she's hearing of it i put 15 bucks in gas and i gave him five just because i felt like that's what i was supposed to do i don't always do that or record like but I felt like I, was, I had compassion on him and his little girl that was with him. So I gave him five, put 15 in. And then we almost ran out of gas the other night going to, going to the movies, had to figure it out. But that's compassion. Com- compassion moves you to action. It makes you do something. If you lose compassion... You lose the heart of God. I thought about that this week as I was studying. In areas of my life where I seem to have lost compassion. And if our God is full of compassion, God is full of compassion. If I lose compassion and I'm callous and hard and, and I can look at one of you or my fellow man hurting and I don't feel anything for him, and I don't want to step out and help that and fit, like do what I can do, if I lose compassion, I lose the heart of God. Did you know you can know it all and be stupid? You can. I've got a couple of examples for you, but they'll hit too close to home, so we're going to skip them. You can know it all and be stupid. I don't want to know the whole Bible. I don't want to have all this knowledge about being a Christian. And I don't care if I have every scripture memorized. And I don't love the people that Jesus died for. Or have compassion for the people in the world that I'm placed in. 
We've missed it. That's called Pharisees. Ones that Jesus said, look, you, you know everything about Scripture and you, you know the law and you know this God, but yet you don't love people. You've missed it. You have no compassion. God, fill me with compassion. In Luke, we've, we've looked at the story before, but in, in Luke's account, uh, Jesus got some bad news. Right? Remember, Jesus found out that John died, his cousin died, and Jesus just got upset. He was upset, and it says that Jesus went away by himself, and he got in a ship, and he just went across the sea by himself. He said, I don't want y'all with me right now. Disciples, don't come with me. Jesus got in that ship, and he went across the sea, and we, we've talked about this before, but Jesus was breaking. And we don't know, maybe he was yelling, maybe he was crying, he was upset. We know it didn't turn out like he thought. He was upset with the loss of his cousin, his best friend, the only one that got it. The only one in the world that got it, he's dead. Jesus was upset and he allowed himself time away to break. To feel that pain, to feel that hurt, whatever that looked like. Him and God and he just broke. But then when the boat came to the shore, said Jesus looked out and he saw all the people gathered and they were hurt and they were sick and they needed healing. And then Jesus composed himself and stepped into purpose. You have to have both in your life. You have to allow yourself to break because you're going to go through some hard stuff. You're going to go through some hurt. You're going to go through some pain. You're going to have some things in your life that aren't fun. Or that you don't understand or where you lose people you love or you, you have to break. But you can't live in that brokenness forever. You have to find healing or it'll become bitterness. Unhealed brokenness becomes bitterness. And so Jesus allowed himself to go and break and be alone and cry and scream and holler and find healing and seek God and, and whatever. But then when he saw the people hurting, when he what? Uh, then he stepped into purpose. He saw the people. He had compassion. And he stepped out and he stepped into purpose and began to do what he was called to do. If you stay in that broken place that place of hurt and you never step out of it into your purpose and use it for what God's called you to do then you'll be that broken record around and around and around and every church is horrible and all men are dogs and all kids are crazy and all everything and it's all bad and it's all negative and it's all the time and it's a broken record of pain and hurt and brokenness and bitterness if you never find healing and step into your purpose. Now, on the other hand, if you're always composed and you never allow yourself to break, you never allow yourself to feel what other people are feeling and you never, then you come across with no compassion. You come across with this attitude of, well, then he just needs to get it together. Well, he just needs to stop drinking. Well, if she wasn't such an idiot, she wouldn't be in that much pain. You, you have no compassion because you won't allow yourself to break. And you forgot what it feels like. 
to be hurting, to be broken. You need both. Break. Find healing and then compose yourself and step into purpose. Jesus composed himself. And he stepped into purpose. Number three. God, fill me with calmness. Calmness is number three. God, I want to be calm so that I can make decisions and hear your voice. And I want to stay calm no matter if there's a storm or craziness or what's going on around me. I want to stay calm. I don't want to be anxious or scared or worried or freaked out. Or Remember Jesus in the middle of the storm? The disciples are all freaking out that they're going to die. And, they're, and Jesus is laying back there on a pillow asleep. He wasn't worried. He trusted his father had a much bigger plan for him than that. And if he died in the storm, well, that's not even God's plan. He wasn't even worried about it. He just had that much trust in his father. God, fill me with calmness. A lot of times we're anxious and scared and worried and offended. We're not at peace. And you know a lot of that comes from comparison. Comparing ourselves to other people and our lives to other people or what they think it should look like or what we should be doing to try to keep up with that or this. It's comparison. We're worried that... We're missing out on something, so I need to do this or I need to do that to keep up with everybody else or to look like everybody else or I gotta, I'm not a good dad because I saw someone else being a good dad and it didn't look like how I'm being a good dad. We compare our jobs and wives and kids and money and church. It's the first thing. People always ask me, how's the church doing? Good. Is it growing? How big? Well, shoot, the last couple weeks we got, well, we sat there and counted about 20-something people that are out of town today on vacations, and last week was like that too, these summer months. Okay, well, if that's how you determine whether a church is doing good or not is how many people are sitting there, then that's not it. We're not called to compare ourselves or our ministries to other people's. We're called to obedience. Well, our camp's better than your VBS because y'all want to give goldfish and we give full meals. It's fear. Oh, that mine's not as good as yours or my life's not as good as yours. Oh, God, something bad's going to happen. That's what fear says. And the crazy thing is that through phones and technology and social media, we can see into thousands of people's lives every day. But what we forget to realize is we're seeing into thousands of people's lives, we're seeing their highlight reel. We're seeing what they want us to see of their lives every day. That's not the real life. That's the few seconds that they wanted you to see. But then we compare ourselves to that. We get anxious. Fear comes in. 
I should be further along than I am. I should be more spiritual than I am. My church should be bigger than it is. But why would we think those things? I should be further along than I am. It's because I saw somebody else's further along and I think I should be where they are and I'm trying to measure myself to them. Because if I had nothing to compare it to, then I would think I'm right where I need to be. Because I'm listening to His voice and I'm walking in obedience. So that's enough. I don't compare the size of my church to somebody else's church to know that I'm doing what I'm called to do. And the same with our lives. I don't compare the fact of that I'm a good father with, well, somebody else was able to give their kid something that I wasn't able to give my kid or, or somebody else did this or that. Or th- we start comparing ourselves to other people. And we get anxious and worried and upset and we live in fear and we, we're all the time up and going, hus, hus. it's not calmness. God, fill me with calmness. Relax. Look at Philippians 4, 6. Be careful for nothing. But in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. With thanksgiving. Let your request be made known unto God. And the peace of God which passeth understanding shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. The peace of God. Message Bible says it like this. Don't fret or worry. Stop worrying. Instead of worrying, pray. Let petitions and praises Shape your worries into prayers. Letting God know your concerns before you know it. A sense of God's wholeness. Everything coming together for good will come and settle you down. Why? Because you trust. Everything's coming together for good. God's going to work it out. It's wonderful what happens when Christ displaces worry at the center of your life. Don't fret. Don't worry. Bring it to God. Calmness. The definition of calmness is the state of being free from agitation or strong emotion. When your emotions are so strong that they're controlling your actions, that's not calm. That's not calmness. I want to be free. I don't want my emotions to control me. I want to be free from agitation. And free from the control of emotions. I want to feel emotion. But I don't want it to control me. Cool, calm, and rich. No, collected. Number four. Almost done. Number four. Conviction. Yay, that's the one we were waiting for. Conviction. Wah, wah, wah. Everybody wants to love to talk about that. It's like you cussed in church. And I think we got the wrong idea about conviction. Look at 1 Corinthians 16, 13. 
going to read it to you in the Message Bible. In this verse right here, you're going to see all five of the C's. So I'm going to point them out to you real quick as we read this verse, and then we're going to talk about conviction. Keep your eyes open. Hold tight to your convictions. Give it all you've got. Be resolute or resolved and love without stopping. So clarity, keep your eyes open. Compassion, that's love without stopping. Calmness, be resolute. Conviction, hold tight to your convictions. In Christ, give it all you got. That's the five that we're the five that we're looking at. But here's where we get confused. Conviction is not condemnation. We think that we in our mind, I know for me, I think of it as kind of the same thing, like conviction, condemnation. I feel bad. I feel guilt. I feel shame, like conviction. Yeah, that's all the same thing. Like I did something bad. I feel really bad about it. I'm going to go over here and lay down in the corner and punish myself. Like it, conviction, guilt, shame, hurt, pain. Like it's all just kind of tied together in our brain. And that's not what conviction is. It's not condemnation. It's not guilt. It's not shame. It's not a finger pointed at you telling what you did wrong. It's not God. That's what a lot of people think conviction is. You shouldn't have done that. You're in trouble for that. You're going to reap what you sow. You're going to pay. No. Conviction is not God's finger pointed at you. It's God's grace saying, hey, don't go that way. It's going to hurt you. Hey, stop, because I know what three more days down this road is going to do to your life. Hey, come back. Don't, don't do that. It's when you do something stupid and, and the Holy Spirit says, wait, wait, stop. You can't do that. I know it's just a movie, but it's going to be detrimental to your soul. Turn it off. Dusty, it's just a drink, but I know where this road leads for you. Son, you shouldn't have done that. Don't do that. Don't go there. That's what conviction is. It's the Holy Spirit inside of you saying, don't go there. You can't do that. It's okay for Him. It's a, that's personal conviction. Somebody else may be able to do something that I can't do. And I may be able to do something that somebody else can't do. That's why I have my own personal conviction. Well, you say, well, why would I want that? That doesn't sound fun. Have a Jiminy Cricket sitting on my shoulder telling me what I should and shouldn't do. Well, I can do what I want to do. I don't need that little angel sitting on my shoulder. Why would I want that? Because the road you choose leads to death. You don't want the aftermath of those decisions in your life and the place that it'll take you. My prayer is for myself and that for us as a church that we would become so responsive to the conviction of the Holy Spirit that we would get up and walk out of a movie that we paid for 
that we would get out of a relationship before it hurt us and hurt them. That we would get out of a compromising situation with the opposite sex before we dishonored our spouse. Before we went too far down a road that that we would be so responsive that we would apologize when we're wrong. That we would delete that song off of our playlist or that we would shut down Snapchat if we know we can't handle it because the Holy Spirit says, hey, it's not for you. I got something better for you. This road leads to somewhere you don't want to go. Come on. Come on. And the more we listen to the conviction, the more we go down that road where we see life. And we're effective in the kingdom. And we're powerful. God convict me. We would turn off the computer and go to bed. That we would, whatever it is, and it's not out of fear. We're not doing it because we're afraid of what's going to happen or that God's sitting there with a big stick going to bop us in the head if we don't obey Him. That's not conviction. Conviction is grace and love saying, don't go there, son. Don't go there, daughter. God, tell me when I'm choosing a road that I have no business choosing. Conviction is not feeling bad after doing something wrong. It's God's Spirit saying, don't go that way. Why? Because you're worth so much more than that. Not because you're an idiot and you're in trouble. Don't go that way. Man, I've planned so much more for your life. You're, You're worth so much more than that to me. People are watching, Dusty. Don't go there. You got three boys watching you change the channel. Whatever it is. So God, fill us with conviction. Last one. Number five. Christ. Not just the man, Jesus. The man that came and lived, but Christ. It means the anointed one. The anointing. Holy Spirit. God, fill us with the Christ. Fill us with the Holy Spirit. Fill us with the anointing. That anointing that you've given to each one of us. Isaiah 10, 27 um, tells us that the anointing lifts burdens and breaks yokes. It's powerful. It can change a situation. It can bring healing. God, fill us with the Christ. Um, have you ever heard of the... Jefferson Bible. Thomas Jefferson, who was a brilliant man and did all kinds of good things, but I didn't know this about him. A quote from him is, The teachings of Jesus are the most sublime and benevolent code of morals ever bestowed on man. But he didn't like the miracles, the power, or anything to do with supernaturals, miracles, Holy Spirit, anything like that. So he spent some time with a straight razor and the King James Version 
And he went through the Gospels and he cut out every single miracle or anything that you can't logically explain about the life of Jesus. He cut it out of the Bible and made his own Bible. That Jesus was a good teacher and a prophet and had good morals and knew how to teach people to love each other and all that. But he took out the God part. He took out all the miracles. He cut it all out and he made his own Bible. It was known as the life and morals of Jesus of Nazareth. Or most people knew it as the Jefferson Bible. No miracles. What? Jesus without the miracles? The man and not the God? I need the Christ, the anointed one, not just Jesus. Bad stuff happens. And at some point, your reality will take over your theology and your God will get smaller. Or your theology will take over your reality and your God will get bigger. Reality, I mean, the reality is we're all going to have hard times and go through hard things and go through hard stuff. But I see my God getting bigger and bigger. The God inside of me is bigger than the pain in front of me. Always. Always has been, always will be. So I need the Christ. I need the anointing. And I'm asking God to fill me with the Christ. I, I don't know about you, but I don't need wimpy Jesus. I don't need homey Jesus. He works at the mattress factory. They call him Jesus. I, I, I need the Christ. I need all-powerful Jesus. I need the Jesus that we sung about in that last song that makes the darkness tremble. In my life, to do the things that I feel like God's called me to do and be in relationships that He's called me to be in and to be full of compassion and to do all that's in my heart to do, I need all-powerful Jesus. I need the Christ. I need the anointing. I need the Holy Spirit present. Holy Spirit's who that conviction we were just talking about comes from too. I need the Christ. I need the anointing. One that makes darkness tremble. The Christ, the anointing, the anointed one. Because that's what sets me free. Acts 1-4. Jesus died on the cross. Did y'all know that? Jesus died on the cross and paid for our sins. And he came back and he was just going to tell the disciples one thing real quick about their call and their ministry and what it is that they were supposed to do. And it wasn't that big of a thing. It was just, hey, all y'all 12, it's your job to tell the whole entire world about my story and what I did and get them to believe in me. And that's it. That's a pretty big call. Huh. Reaching my city doesn't seem so big now. Like what, whatever it is that God's called you to do. So look what Jesus came back and said to him. Jesus shows back up and here's what he said. This should be pretty important. And being assembled together with them, he commanded them that they should not depart from Jerusalem, but wait. Wait. Wait for what? For the promise of the Father, which saith he, ye have heard of me. So the cross isn't enough. Right? 
if the cross was enough, then Jesus would have said, go do what I've called you to do. Go reach the world. Go. But Jesus said, no, wait, you don't have everything you need yet. There's one more tool that's going to be very important that you need to reach the world. You need to look like me or to be my witness. Wait, there's one more thing. For John truly baptized with water, but you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days hence. And when they therefore were come together, they asked of him, saying, Lord, wilt thou at this time restore again the kingdom of Israel? They still didn't get what was going on. Jesus said, oh gosh. Father. Verse 7, and he said unto them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father hath put in his own power, but ye shall receive power after. After what? That the Holy Ghost has come upon you. And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem and Judea and in Samaria and into the uttermost parts of the earth. You know, there's a lot of Christians running around with no power. There's a lot of people saved and going to heaven, but don't have the power to be sober tomorrow. They're in chains. Well, I don't want to be the kind of Christian that's just running around with no power to be free. I need the Christ. I need the Holy Spirit. I want that power so that I can be a witness to the world that I'm placed in. We need the power. See, the cross speaks of pardon. And Pentecost speaks of power. And if you only live at the cross... And you're not filled with the Christ, with the anointing, the power, the Holy Spirit. If you only live at the cross, then you'll have to go back to the cross every day, day after day after day. God, I messed up. Forgive me. And he'll forgive you every single time because the cross is enough to save you and wash your sins. And he knew you were going to mess up and he'll forgive you over and over and over. Hey, God, I messed up again. And he'll say, I still love you. I forgive you. But every day you'll go up back and back to the cross over and over and over and you'll never walk in freedom. You won't move in power every day. God, I'm sorry. I forgive you. You won't have the power to be free or to be his witness. The cross is once and for all. Don't get me wrong. Because of grace and mercy, the cross is once and for all. And you're saved and your sins are covered and you're going to heaven. But my day of Pentecost where I'm refilled. And if you look at Ephesians, Ephesians 3.17, Paul's talking about being filled with the Holy Spirit, with the power, that you'll have the power being filled, and it's a, a continual filling, the word means. Not a one-time fill a glass and it's done. It's a filling. To be filled with the Holy Spirit continually. My day of Pentecost where I am refilled is every day. I'm filled with the Holy Spirit as I come into His presence. And, and as I read His Word and as I hear His voice, it's a going before His throne. It's going back to Him. He wants us to find Him. He wants relationship with us. He's not going to give us everything we need and everything we've asked for because then we wouldn't come back to Him. And he's a good father, and the whole point of it all to him is just 
so that we'll want to be with him and that we'll come to him and that we'll run to him and we'll bring him our hurts and our pains and our problems. And I'm not a champion at hide and seek anymore like I was when I was a teenager. I'll run off through the woods 60 acres back and hide with camouflage on in a hole. When I became a father, that changed. Why? You want your kids to find you. You leave your foot sticking out or something because the when they find you, that's the good part to you. They run and jump in your arms and they laugh and tell you, you're horrible at hiding, Dad. And you laugh and say, oh, I'll do better next time. That's how God is with us. He wants you to find Him. He wants you to keep coming back to Him and coming into His presence and getting filled every day. He'll fill you up. So, As we pray, God, fill me with these five things. God, give me clarity. Give me compassion. Give me calmness. Give me conviction. And God, fill me with the Christ. Fill me with the power. It's a daily filling like Paul talked about in Ephesians. It's a coming back to Him over and over. It's coming to Him in worship. It's coming to Him in prayer. It's coming to Him in the Word. It's meeting in small groups and having devotions and and being filled and filled and filled because that's what gives you the power. To not only walk in freedom, but to give to be somebody else's miracle. To give somebody else the help that they need. That's how you can act on your sympathy and have that compassion. It's because you're so full, you got something to give to somebody else. You're not needing somebody to, to carry you and give it to you all the time. So God, fill us up. Maybe you just really need one of the five in your life, and maybe you need all five of them, a little bit more of all of the five, or wherever you are, I believe, as Christians, this should speak to us. Let's pray. God, fill us up. God, we want more of you. And as we grow spiritually and physically, we want to look more like you. So God, give us clarity. Keep our eyes open. God, give us compassion so that we can love without stopping and that we can step in and take action and help the hurting and the last and the lost and the least and that we can be you to the world. God, give us calmness so that we don't freak out and have anxiety and we're anxious about everything and fear and worry and terror. And God, let us be calm even in the midst of a storm so that we can hear your voice and make the right decisions. God, I invite you to convict us. God, tell us when we're going down a road that's going to cause pain to the people we love or to ourselves. God, convict us by your Spirit before we hit destruction. And God, fill us with the Christ, with the power, with the anointing, with your Holy Spirit. We need you. We can't do it on our own. We've proven that. Fill us up. 
We love you. Thanks for speaking to us. Thank you for pouring into us. In Jesus' name, amen.